And this is View the Valley's podcast, season three, episode five, with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, uh, exciting, what, eight, nine, ten days of college hoops since we last recorded? It's been fantastic, especially from the NBC OVC perspective. I mean, had some really big wins, had some head scratchers of losses, and, uh, you know, it's really starting to kind of get in that mode of basketball season. Even though, I don't know, do you feel like there's like basketball season and there's conference basketball season? Oh, 100%. Like it just feels different, like especially when you kind of get into routine, especially the OBC, it's Thursday, Saturday, Thursday, Saturday. Yep. The NBC is a little bit different, but there's definitely a different feel once you get into conference play. I think the, the non-conference portion, I mean, it it just shows like what you're able to do against other other teams that you might be able to use as like a, well, I don't want to say a bubble win because mm-hmm. the OBC is going to be a, you know, probably more likely a one-bid league this year, mm-hmm. so... Unless you win, it doesn't matter. But for the Missouri Valley purposes, you know, you have if you have two solid mid majors going up against each other, those are wins that that could solidify a spot for you if right. you don't win the Missouri Valley come March. Right. You know, it's just, but it's, it always feels so kind of all over the place. Like it's like you look at obviously Thanksgiving. There's no games, but then the Monday, Tuesday after Thanksgiving on the Missouri Valley side, zero games. What's going on? Because they're getting ready for that weird kind of league play start, like mini start. Yeah, and but you just I, kind of don't know when your team's playing. Like, you know, if you're an Ohio Valley fan, once season starts, like, hey, I know Thursday, Saturday, Thursday, Saturday. But so. but now it's you know you're approaching Thanksgiving, so you're having a lot of those classic tournaments and mm-hmm. MTEs, and you're gonna have games all next week, basically starting right. anywhere from ten thirty in the morning to <laughs> nine p.m. at night. SIU plays at midnight tomorrow. Oh my. Yeah, against UNLV, I think it is. Will you be staying up for that? No, I will not. Damn, what kind of fan are you? Terrible. One that has to feed his family. <laughs> okay, fan I screwed you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But looking into this episode, we'll go over some of the big wins between the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley, some of the games that may have been questionable losses or just games where teams looked flat out ugly for stretches, as well as looking at the crossover games between the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley. Um, And then we'll look ahead to some of the bigger games that are ahead in this coming week between the two conferences. Uh, So first things first, TJ, why don't we jump into the Missouri Valley here? Uh, Any big games that stuck out to you for maybe quality wins? I think the the highlight of the first two weeks is Murray State beating number 24 Texas A&M. You know, a nine-point win, neutral site. You know, so uh, I, especially after Murray State played, I think it was uh, Lindsey Wilson, an NAI school who's not necessarily considered a powerhouse, and you know, kind of took some heat. I think I saw Wyatt Wheeler tweet like, "Who's Lindsey Wilson?" And you know, I was like, <laughs> "I don't know who it is." And we talked about it the week before. You know, so uh, kind of take some heat from that perspective, and then you know, turn around and, and defeat Texas A&M. Then have a really good game against UMass. You know, they get beat at the buzzer on Friday. And I think those are two quality opponents for Murray State. Also throw in that Murray is beating Tulsa right now, 64-48. So handling them pretty good right now. And then, obviously, from my perspective, I think it was a big win for not only my alma mater, but the Missouri Valley for Southern Illinois to go and beat Oklahoma State on the road. Yeah, you know, big one. And, you know, they started out really strong and then just 
kind of looked mediocre. And they were down 10, finished the game on a 16 to 5 run, I think it is. And their two, you know, their two leaders, Jones and Damask, score all 16 of those points, including Damask getting a three pointer late. Now, to be fair, Oklahoma State did their fair share to not win that game, missed multiple free throws down the stretch. But, you know, from Oklahoma State's perspective, you got to hit those free throws. That's part of the game, too. So, you know, there's always things that, that, that come into play there. You know, you were talking about Murray State. Um, I, I That win against Texas A&M, I think, goes a long way considering they opened the season at SLU, who SLU's going to be good this year. Um, Travis Ford has them going in the right direction. A lot of returning talent. Gary Collins, one of the best guards in the country. And, well, Murray didn't look – didn't look very good against SLU, and no one really knew what they're what to expect out of Murray State either. As you had said, lost a lot of a lot of the talent, coaching staff, but to rebound from the SLU game, losing by twenty plus to to beat Texas A and M, who was in the top twenty five at the time, it's a big win, and it looked like it, it got them on track. Maybe that NAI school really put them in the yeah, right direction. Maybe, maybe they, you know got them to show them some things that they needed to work on and. Work some things out, build some confidence. Who knows? I'm completely tongue in cheek here. I just don't think we should play in NAI schools, D3 schools. Man, I, I agree. So, how about the games that stood out to you positive wise on the OBC side? Well, I think if you look at the opening slate of games on November 7th, uh, I think the, the big one that has to stand out is SEMO at South Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, South Florida. I think they were like anywhere between 10 and 12 point favorites at home. And SEMO, I mean, they, they come away with a 64-61 win uh, at the Yingling Center. Great beer, by the way. Yes. I'm a big fan. Um, Kobe Clark had a nice game for SEMO, eight points, eight rebounds. And this is a this is a game that if you look at SEMO's program in recent years, that they just haven't been able to win. I think they had a win against mm, – I think it was Tulane when uh, Coach Dickie Nutt was at SEMO. But outside of that, this is one of their bigger wins when it when you look at the – what are they calling it? The Power Six now, I think I heard somebody that phrase that. Really? And I'm like, hmm, I've never heard that. But I guess the the conference South Florida is in, the AAC, is considered the Power Sixth, sixth Conference. I had not heard of that till that game. I think the A-10 and the Big East have something to say about that? Oh, I guarantee it. Because I would definitely think the one of those could definitely compete for the AAC. Yeah. Because I, I don't know. Had you ever heard anything about the no, Power I, Six? I've heard, I've heard someone say Power Five plus one, and it's usually the Big East that they're talking about, right? Am I thinking directly? I, I like thought. Big 12, Big 10, ACC, SEC. Pac-12. Pac-12, yeah. Yeah. I'm making sure that I don't misspeak. And I, the Big East got to be up there for... Yeah if nothing else, based solely on their postseason tournament. I went to the AAC tournament a couple of years ago down in Memphis. Yeah. And after Memphis lost in the semifinals, I mean, you could have thrown a stone and not hit anybody. <laughs> like you, people had rows to themselves. Really? Yeah, in the lower bowl. So, and not just like the AAC, but they're not. No. Six power conference. <clears throat> You're not. No, there's no way. But- I, will, I will die on that hill. But, anywho, uh, Chris Harris had 16 points for SEMO. Uh, he struggled from the field, only 4 of 16, but did come up big at the foul line down the stretch, 6 of 7. Uh, SEMO as a team shot 
just 63%, which allowed South Florida to get back in it. Um, outside of that game, uh, there were a couple others that stood out, maybe not as much on the opening day. Um, oh, well, I don't know. Southern India didn't, did not beat Mizzou, but, man, their offense looked good against Missouri. 91 points. Uh, Jelani Simmons had 23 points. And watching what Southern Indiana has done to open the season, they have been able to put up some I points. I think after Southern Illinois Carbondale beating Oklahoma State, that was a big win for Southern Indiana. Their first Division One win to defeat the Salukis looked really good. You know, shot the ball really well. And, you know, I know t- talking to Coach Mullins at the NBC, excuse me, the NBC Media Day, he, this is an easy game. He wasn't, he knew back then, hey, this is a game we're going to have to be ready for. And I think, I don't want to make excuses. And this definitely makes sound like one, but it's a definite trap game situation. Oh, sure. And I was talking to someone, he's like, this game against Southern Indiana scares me. After that Oklahoma State win, that you're just like, here we go. You know, you think we just beat a Power 5 school. Now we're playing a school that's just now starting Division 1. And I think it's it's hard sometimes to convince kids, because they're still kids in my mind. Oh, yeah. I'm mad that, hey, this, this is, guys are better than you think they are. Well, I think I think away another, another team to look at right now. Um, it's not like it was a Power 5 win, but God bless, when you look at, the stretch of games that they have had to open the season. Moorhead State's win at home against Bellarmine. Um, that was that was a seven-point win, 62-55, after Bellarmine had just beat Louisville. And, you know, Louisville, not a bad program. I mean, a huge win for Bellarmine. And you look at where Moorhead State has been this season. They opened the season at 13th rank Indiana, lost 88-53. They win against... <clears throat> CU Harrodsburg, no idea, but 99-58, one of those games we had just mentioned, TJ, as you were talking about, uh, Murray State side. Then you play Bellarmine. If you don't get that win against Bellarmine, now you're basically going into games against West Virginia and Vanderbilt with one win. Um, so th- that win against Bellarmine goes a long way for Moorhead State. It gets them some confidence to see where they're actually at against other mid-major talent because – to have Indiana, West Virginia, and Vanderbilt three of your first five games, that is brutal. Mm-hmm. And it, it could also lower some confidence, but also it's it's also showing them where they're at earlier in the season to help them prepare, you know, as the season progresses. Because now they have Kentucky State, which will help. No reason they lose that. that. Really? I had no idea. But that will help them get back to uh, three and three before a road game at Marshall. Outside of the outside of those, TJ, um, big win. I mean, I don't think there was really really any of the other ones that may have may have stood out. I think Eastern Illinois played pretty competitive against some of the some bigger schools, which I thought was yeah. I thought they showed out really well against Illinois State. Yeah, they did. You know, they had a chance. I mean, they kind of fell behind and, and battled back. And you know, I, th- I thought that was a, a nice. It showed their competitiveness instead of. Hey, we're gonna fold up and you know just shut the doors. Like, no, they came back and, and made a game of it. Had a chance to to pull off the the victory. So before we get into maybe some games that we thought may not have went the way that you know the program thought it was gonna go, 
or maybe thought they'd been better. Um, one quick note, you know, we just mentioned that Missouri gave up 97 points to uh, Southern Indiana. Um, Missouri's 4-0 right now under uh, Coach Dennis Gates. But looking at their start, it's been the OVC slate here. Does Missouri have much defense, or are they just an running running gun? Because, I mean, they gave up – they scored 82 points against Linwood and only gave up 53. But they also gave up 85 points to Penn and gave up 80 to SIUE. I mean, so I don't know if Missouri's more offensive-minded this year. But, I mean, they've scored 97, 92, 82, 105 in the first four games. And then their game today against Mississippi Valley State, I guarantee you Missouri puts up over 100. Yeah. Uh, Well, just to make sure we're clear, they gave up 91 points to Southern Indiana. Scored 97. Yes. Okay. Did I say the wrong thing? Yeah, you said they gave up 97 points. Oh, okay. So I just want to make sure. So, yeah, um, it sounds like not much defense. And I know that there's a couple Missouri Valley guys now playing at Mizzou. Um, I know the first game, Isaiah Mosley didn't get much time. So it's kind of, you know, how was he fit in? But I haven't paid much attention to them past that Southern Indiana game. So, but yeah, gosh, they're giving up a ton of points. It's fun to watch, though, I guess. Yeah, that's what the fans want. But moving into games that you thought should have went better, on the Missouri Valley side, maybe? Well, I obviously, I think the Saluki should have won the game against uh, Southern Indiana. I think that was a game that, looking on from the outside, that they, they should have won. Uh, I think Belmont losing to Furman by 15 was surprising. Yeah, I expected him to be a little bit more competitive there. Um, and Bradley losing to Utah State by 22. Yeah. You know. So that that one was surprising as well. Uh, those were the two games that kind of stood out to me on the the other side. And I think we don't understand the rivalry, but Belmont losing to Lipscomb, I didn't expect that one to happen. I didn't either. You know, so I think Belmont has been kind of uh, hard to figure out so far. Um, you know, Northwestern State uh, defeating Illinois State after Illinois State won the first matchup. That can came up, and then uh, you know Friday Belmont losing to Tarleton State. I think those are those are games I didn't expect to, to go the way they did, and uh, you know that's kind of you hoped for a better show. Now Belmont did bounce back and beat George Mason yesterday, so hopefully they're getting that ship turned around, and that's that's kind of the reason why you don't start playing conference games right off the bat. Oh, agreed. So you work out those games, those rotations, things like that. I know the the injury bug has seemingly bitten Bradley pretty significantly. Jashawn Henry, who's you know one of my favorite players to watch, you know missed most of last season with an injury, and now is you know out for an undetermined amount of time. What seems yeah. might be a concussion, so that's that's really going to change the landscape as well. I know Coach Wardle, you know next man up, but we've seen him get to the point where they only had eight guys in in uniform too. So so. You know, that, that's probably the biggest loss, I think, it was Bradley losing to Sean Henry. And, you know, the Salukis, too, had to pull the red shirt off their uh, seven-foot freshman. 
because their two big guys are hurt. Uh, Abube, who had registered last year, hurt, hurt his hand in what I've been told is a scooter incident on campus. Really? Like a scooter broke his hand, I think. Wow. It looked like he was in a cast. And then the other big man's been suffering some back injuries, hasn't played yet. So, yeah, so you hate to see injuries like mm-hmm. that early in the season like that. Yeah, so then you're they come back right when conference plays really start <clears> to get into swing, and they're not in midseason form yet. So any surprising losses or losses? <clears throat> wow, there's nice English. Uh, hey, it surprises. Good podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, I, I talked about it on our last episode that I was really interested to see how UT Martin would come out and perform against Pittsburgh and Youngstown State to start the season. And, and seeing that who UT Martin has returning and, you know, with the talent that they have this year, you know, two guys on, you know, uh, OVC preseason first team, uh, they come out, they lose 80 to 58 to Pittsburgh. And, and I think UT Martin's going to be pretty good as the season goes on, but Parker Stewart and KJ Simon, um, they really weren't able to get it going against Pittsburgh. I mean, uh, neither of them had a three-pointer, uh, 0 for 5 combined. Uh, I mean, K.J. Simon did get to double digits with 11 points, but they never were really in the game. They got off to a slow start, uh, and that, that led to a, basically just a drubbing of Pittsburgh, you know, beating UT Martin. So then I was looking forward to seeing how UT Martin would rebound against Youngstown State. And honestly, it was another game where uh, the Skyhawks got off to a slow start, uh, they lost 90 to 72. And this was a game I think I watched start to finish. Um, it wasn't that bad of a game at half, only down eight. Um, but UT Martin did have 15 turnovers in the game. And that stopped them from being able to uh, to make to make hay at times. Um, KJ Simon had 19 points, but also didn't make a free throw. He was over five at the line. Um, so that's not, that's not good. And, and that that, that kind of goes into what I'll be in to in a second. Uh, you have no idea where I'm going with this either. But um, if you're a preseason player of the year, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be a bad free throw shooter all year, but to go for five. Now, luckily, those five points didn't really make a difference in a game, but those are five five freebies that you know teams are going to be looked at. If, if you're in the lock down the wire, you know, you're the, you're the guy that they're you looking to go be to. a liability and be a key player. Correct. You know, and that goes on both sides. You can't be somebody that, hey, we you can't guard anybody. It's, it's the equivalent when you can't hit a free throw. And having said that, you know, UT Martin did get back on track. Two wins against non-Division one opponents, Champ, Champ Christian and Harris Stowe. But then UT Martin looked really good against Ole Miss. Uh Friday night, lost 72-68, a game they were winning at half. Um, so I think the, the game at Ole Miss is a good showing of what UT Martin could be able to be this year. They were winning 39-32 at half. Parker Stewart at 13 points, made all three free throws. They were able to force 17 turnovers on Ole Miss. Now that's, the, that's good. That's really impressive. The downfall, though, UT Martin had 19 turnovers. So forcing 17 is great, but – that was 19 that in a four point loss, you know, that some of those possessions are going to come back and bite you. 
But I think it's a good showing for UT Martin and Coach Ritter and his staff to show what they're going to be able to do this year. Uh, they have a game today against Prairie View that, honestly, I think uh, UT Martin could just blow them right out of the water. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I hope to be watching that game today. And I saw the spread opened at minus two, and it's already at minus four. So, you know, a lot of, the, I guess, the public getting on UT Martin to to do well there. Um, so I think that was the game or team that you know, I kind of thought got off to a slow start. Um, outside of that, TJ, uh, the OVC really just had a lot of games against some NAIA or non-Division One competition. But the one area I did want to mention before we get into the crossover games. Now, this doesn't really affect the OVC in a game where they didn't really play well, but I think it, it can kind of go, go together here. Uh, what day was that? Thursday, November 17th. I was watching this game. East Tennessee State was uh, playing home against Little Rock. Mm-hmm. East Tennessee State won by eight. They were up 42-35 at half. Now, without you doing any research into this, TJ, <clears throat> listen or take a guess on the free throw shooting here. I mean, this has got to be one of the worst free throw shooting I have ever seen. Right. East Tennessee. Yes, East Tennessee. I mean, Little Rock was down 15, and they just got right back into it because East Tennessee State could not make Well, because anything. you're asking – I'm guessing it's not good. Oh, horrendous. I'll go under 25%. Well, it's over 25% because there was a lot of free throws attempted. But nonetheless, East Tennessee State missed 21 free throws. They were 21 of 42 from the line at 50%. Yeah. I mean... This was one possession alone, and this helped Little Rock get back into it. Little Rock had called for a technical. East Tennessee State missed both technical free throws and then missed a three-pointer. Not one point in the possession. That same time, I was watching the Tennessee State-Southern Illinois game. Oh, the second half. They put the game back a few years. I mean, it was – I mean, just both sides. There was one sequence – and I think it was uh, Bucky Dent who writes for the Southern Illinois. And he could say, if Tom Amansky ever does basketball videos, he's going to use this clip <laughs> of what not to do. I don't know if anyone's old, old enough to remember the old Tom Amansky videos with Fred McGriff that they always showed on ESPN that they advertised. They're like to do baseball, you know, like uh, basics, you know, to have all your skills and stuff like that done. So, yeah, there was, a, I mean, <clears throat> it was. I, I was counting live. I think it was at least four out of five, if not five out of six straight possessions with a turnover and a sixth possession or the fifth or sixth possession, whichever it was, was, was a miss. Well, I mean, it was like, it looked like a volleyball game. The ball was going back and forth so quickly. I mean, it's just like, what are we doing here? So the over under for that game was one thirty three and a half, and a half covered by 32 points. 101 points were totaled in the game. Wow. I just, it was, it was tough to watch. I think I looked at one point and it said like eight minutes to go in the second half and Tennessee State had six points scored 
in the second half. I don't know. It was it was not pretty. But uh, moving on to the last segment here, TJ. Uh, look at the uh, crossover games from this past week, and then look ahead to the remainder of this this week's schedule here. Uh, what did you see during the uh, crossover games here? I think the leagues are competitive with each other. Obviously, Southern Indiana beating yeah. um, SIU Carbondale, Eastern Illinois, and Illinois State being a five-point game. I thought Southern looked really good against Little Rock. I thought, you know, that it's, it's, they've been Jekyll and Hyde. You know, Simo um, Evansville, really competitive yeah. six-point game. I thought that was a good game for Evansville to gauge themselves. And, it was. Know, it kind of made me feel good about my, hey, I think these guys are going to be surprising people. Did you see any of that game? No, I did not. Oh, I don't know what, how the refs get rated after each game. Mm-hmm. But, sheesh, there was 12 fouls called, I think, in the first four minutes of the second half. Evansville was in the bonus before the first media timeout. Quick foul. Oh, I mean, some of it, there wasn't even a foul. Like, it was bizarre. But then if you you look look later, no foul called on SEMO until, like, the eight-minute mark. Yeah. Like, it was weird. I, I haven't noticed it in the men's game. I was watching a women's game yesterday. And the point of emphasis has been you can't defend and touch the player with two hands. And it can be like one, two, or both at the same time. Like, nope, multiple hands. It's like, what? It, it just like, not even like changing direction handshakes. Like, hey, I'm right here. I'm right here. And I had the ball. And it's, I mean, I saw it happen yesterday. It's just like, what? They were really tough on it. I haven't seen it happen in a men's game yet, but I think it's probably there too. So let me let me ask you that, you know, while we're talking about fouls, are you a fan of the new the new technical this year for flopping? Like no no warning or anything, just automatic technical. I think so. Just because you already know, like, what good is a warning? Do you? Hey, don't do that again. Especially when it was like, hey, Chris flop. That's a warning for your entire team. Now TJ does it. You know, 30 minutes later, game time. Now it's a technical. Yeah. You know, I saw it happen in a Division Two game where they called it on the shooter. He, he took a three-pointer and, like, did a flop, and the referee called a technical on him, and the the coach whose team it was called on was losing his mind. Oh, the guy I was watching the game with disagreed with me. I was like, I thought it was – I mean, that's – that's you're, tr- you're trying to draw a foul. Yep. Get a foul called against that guy. How is it any different to do it on offense than on defense? So, and it's the, the fact that they've classified it as a class B technical, technical. So it's one shot and the ball goes back to where it was. It's not like you're not two points and the ball that you're giving up. It's one point potentially. And so kid tries to take a charge, hits a layup. Okay. Call him, call you for the flop. They'll shoot one free throw and you, ball's going to go back to more points. So it's not egregious. It doesn't count as a team foul. It doesn't count as a personal foul. So, okay, it's it's. What are your thoughts on it? Oh, I, I do. I like it. Uh, I think because there there were times last year, and and again, I have another area that I also look at kind of similar, because you see in previous years, I mean, guys flop, and it is just so noticeable that mm-hmm. it is just the biggest acting job ever, mm-hmm. and all it does is ruin the flow, and and whatnot. So I like it, but now. Tell me what you think about this. 
Now, I know it'd be hard to try and say, oh, well, he did it intentionally or it was by accident. But Mm -hmm. golly, you can tell so many times it is just intentional. Mm -hmm. I am not a fan of the kickball. Like if there's a if there's an easy pass like to be had, just oh, stick the foot out. Oh, ball was kicked. Plays dead. Kicked it right off the foot. So what though? You wanted to take that out, or I think that there should there's got to be some sort of, and this is what I mean by being hard. I don't know if there's some kind of there has to be some sort of like guideline or something because there's so many times where there should be like an easy bucket or something. And it's just, Oh, basically dove through his foot out as far as he could to kick it. Just so the pass okay couldn't, that. couldn't get there. I'm See, okay I hate it. You get the ball back. Well, then I think being that guy, throw a better pass. Oh, I guess that's true. You know, like how is it different if I get my hand on it? Because if I kick it, you're going to get the ball back. And probably back to if it's under twenty seconds on the shot clock, you go to you get it twenty seconds on the shot. Yeah. Okay. So there is a penalty for it. It's not like you. Yeah, I know you get more. You get the time back, but uh, I, I I see where you're coming from. Maybe bad take on my part, but difference of opinion. I don't know. I just feel like there's so many times where I'm just like oh no. Oh. We haven't talked about this. Okay. The OVC at least on the men's side, is experimenting with uh, a new timeout rule in the second half. So you obviously in men's basketball have the media timeouts every four minutes, under 16, under 12, etc. Well, in the second half, the first called timeout is also a media timeout. So it doesn't matter if SEMO uh, calls a timeout two seconds into the second half, it's a media. Or if the first called timeout is with two seconds left in the game, it's a media timeout. They stretch out, you call a 30, boop, we're going to stretch it to a media. I did not notice that. So that's that's rule across NCAA. At OVC league play, they're getting rid of that. There's no floating timeout, as it's called. But instead, in the second half, you'll have a media, I think, it's under 17, under 14, under 11, under 8, under 5. So they're only doing three instead of what was four? They're going to do five like media timeouts that are scheduled instead of four scheduled timeouts. Oh, okay, because it so, used to be under 16, under yeah. 12, 8, 4. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it'll be interesting to see. That's only in the second half? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you don't have a floating timeout in the first half. And on the women's side, I know, I would guess this is on the men's side too, is if you have a challenge or a video review before the media timeout, it triggers a media timeout. But the way, I think it's probably just women's. Because women, their, their media timeouts are different how they're put into play. Hmm, I'm going to I'll have to watch that. Yeah. I didn't notice that. So, deep dive. No kidding. <laughs> but uh, looking past that, TJ. Um, What's coming up on the OVC slate this week as we get going to Thanksgiving here? Games that stand out to you? Oh, well, right now, Lindenwood leads Western Carolina at halftime, 38-28. Um, outside of that, 
Uh, already mentioned UT Martin plays Prairie View this afternoon as we record on Sunday. Uh, one of the games I am looking forward to is a 6 o'clock start for Tuesday, November 22nd, Southern Indiana and St. Bonaventure. I think, that, I think that should be a very good game as that's part of the Gotham Classic. Um, but Southern Indiana, they, they look good for stretches against Notre Dame as well. Um, to keep that a ball game, I think they end up losing by 12 or 13 when it was all said and done. But I think Southern Indiana is going to turn some turn some heads. They got a lot of returning starters this year. It's a shame they're not uh, NCAA tournament eligible if if they mm-hmm. if they were to win because they've looked good against some power fives thus far. Um, oh, other than that, not really too mu- too much that stands out on the OVC side. Um, a lot of a lot of schools playing some bigger opponents. Linwood playing at Illinois. Um, Saturday, November 26th, I think uh, some of the better games would be Moorhead State at Marshall, SEMO um, playing against Boston in the uh, University of Mil- Wisconsin-Milwaukee MTE, and then Southern Indiana again as they play Bowling Green. I think that's a game where Southern Indiana should, has a very good chance of winning. But outside of that, TJ really, uh, really don't have a whole lot. What about on the Missouri Valley side? On Monday, November 21st, there's two that really stand out to me. San Francisco and Northern Iowa. I think that's a big game for the MVC that they're playing um, each other. That's in Kansas City, as a matter of fact. Yeah. It's like 11.30 start, so you know another game you don't get to watch. And then Southern Illinois at UNLV. And I know UNLV is not the UNLV that I grew up watching. Sure. But there's still kind of that – It's it's a, a solid program, you'd like to think. And then, if depending on how Northern Iowa does, they will either play Wichita State or Grand Canyon on Tuesday. And I don't think I know a Missouri Valley fan alive that wouldn't be cheering for Northern Iowa to, to beat Wichita State. Oh, I, yeah, I guarantee that. I just, it's weird how venomous, I guess you'd say, the NBC faithful are against Wichita State. Um, you have Bradley taking on Auburn. That could be I mean, yeah. that's a good place to, to gauge where they're at. And, you know, Evansville plays Central Florida on Wednesday. I think that's another good test. And then Bradley could be playing Liberty or Northwestern. And then Southern Illinois could be playing SIU. Or Southern Illinois could be playing Minnesota or Cal Baptist. I think they could play Minnesota. If you're going to beat UNLV... Have a good showing against Minnesota, maybe even they get a second Power Five win, maybe. You know, but they're not something I someone I feel safe with right now, as it stands. So those are the games that that stand out to me. Looking at the week ahead, weekend, there's no games that really jump out at me. This is something that I would be super excited to watch, other than the Missouri Valley teams. Okay. Uh, one thing I did want to mention um, before we. Um, came to a close here. I think we had mentioned earlier when we were talking about MTEs, about how we thought this was a solid multi-team event for Lindenwood. Um, You know, having Lamar, McNeese State, Western Carolina in there. And Lindenwood's done pretty pretty solid. Um, They beat McNeese State 78-60. 
lost to Lamar 73-71, and they're up 10 right now in Western Carolina. So this, oh, they go out and take a two out of three. That's a good day. Absolutely. You get two out of three there, and then you have a home game on the 23rd against Idaho State. That's a solid solid way to get basically three wins in a row and then a, and a game where you possibly could beat Lamar. Um, mm-hmm. So we're starting to see what Lindenwood's able to do against Division One talent. Um, now I'm not saying these teams are – outstanding that they're playing but it is i'd still rather somebody play like a, a school like lamar or mcneese state than east west or exactly not, if you go in there play those same teams and go zero and three well we gotta figure some things out it's yep. you know, it i think it's appropriate sure so for that tj i don't have anything else uh do you have anything else to add i think we need to update the MVC versus OVC. Oh, yeah, we do. You know, so okay. if we're scrolling back here, I haven't marked them down myself, but we have SIU over Little Rock. Yep. Illinois State over Eastern Illinois. Correct. Southern Indiana over SIU Carbondale. SEMO over Evansville. SEMO over Evansville. SIU over Tennessee State. Bradley over SEMO. Correct. Um, I think that's... Brings us to the present day. Is that it? I think so. Unless I'm missing something. So what do you what do we have there for a, a tally? MBC is up four to two. Okay. So. Yeah. Pretty competitive. Yeah, and I, th- I think even a couple of the the games that the OVC would have lost, I think only one may have been by more than. 13 points, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, pretty uh, pretty competitive. I don't think we have anything coming up this week. And then, oddly enough, there will be some NBC conference games yeah, after Thanksgiving. Weird. So, I, I just right now, I don't think I'm a fan of it. I'd, love, I'd rather just, once we're in it, we're in it. You know what I mean? It's just... Oh, I agree. So, yeah, I'm up to December 6th on my schedule. <clears> I don't see. Well, Bradley, SIUE. December 6th. And that's at SIUE. Other than that, I'm not seeing much. So. so, one quick thing here, TJ. I think we usually do this every year, um, but for those that may not have listened last year or the year previously, we are approaching Thanksgiving. So, I think it's, I know you like food, I like food. Um, favorite Thanksgiving. Side dish. And then an honorable mention. Okay. First place, broccoli cheese casserole. My mother-in-law makes a fantastic broccoli rice cheese casserole. Okay. And point here for all those of you in a relationship, find something that your mother-in-law and or father-in-law makes that you like and just just talk it up, talk it up, and you're guaranteed that you will get that. And they make it for you. My mother-in-law will call and I tell TJ, I, "I'm bringing my broccoli cheese rice casserole." Okay, and I mean it's it's fantastic. Uh, the other one's probably a little more classic, green bean casserole. So both casseroles, yeah. okay? Yeah. So yeah, if she leaves that broccoli cheese casserole. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. 
and I'm a little surprised you went both both in the direction of like the greens category. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think my favorite is typically there's about four or five different kind of potatoes around Thanksgiving time. Okay. Um, so obviously mine is going to be potatoes, but it's the it's the cheesy potatoes with like, like the, the corn flakes. Scalp potatoes. It's like I think the the potatoes are kind of crispy almost. Uh, or it, no, it's, it's, you can put the corn flakes on top. You're not. So this one's got the corn flakes on top. It's kind of those uh, those hash brown potatoes, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, that's my number one dish. Um, and then my mom also makes a pretty good, uh, kind of like a frozen fruit salad cup. Okay. So it's, it's got a variety of different fruits in there with like cream cheese and stuff. And, and I've always been a pretty big fan of that. Okay. Now my, this isn't, okay, dessert. Pumpkin pie. My father makes his pumpkin pie crust from scratch. Really? Yes. And I mean... He, he kills it. And my dad is not one that you would typically, if you know my father, be like, oh, that, that looks like he makes a good pumpkin pie. I mean, the dude, he's proud of it too. Like, really? I get my pumpkin pie ready. <laughs> and I'm, all, I'm here for it. What's your favorite dessert? So my brother-in-law's mom makes, makes these Buckeyes. Okay. It's like peanut butter, chocolate in it. And I don't know what, what it is, but man, those are good. I get those at Thanksgiving and Christmas time, and Paula does a powdered f- sugar on it too. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yep. I'm thinking the right thing then. Yeah, I mean it's outstanding. I I go to eat one next thing I know I've had like fifteen. I haven't even eaten Thanksgiving yet. Like mm-hmm. oh, I'm full. All right, let's go the other direction. Okay. What is something that is your traditional Thanksgiving dish that you just don't you don't get the hype? It can be side dish, dessert, oh, this whatever is- you want. <laughs> that you know it's going to be there. And you're like, yeah, there's going to be plenty because I'm not taking any of that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to open a can of worms here. I'm not a big turkey fan. Okay. I do not. I, I, don't, I think it's too dry. Okay, well, yeah, you can put sauce on it. Great. I just, I really don't like the taste of, of turkey. Um, so there, usually we have turkey, ham, and you know, some other stuff, but I'll eat it because everybody else is eating it, but I don't enjoy it. I just eat it because I feel, Chris, I don't eat any turkey. Put in a lot of work to eat this, make this turkey for Thanksgiving. All right, I'll take a few pieces. I don't like it. So you won't even eat like leftover turkey as a turkey sandwich, put it between a couple pieces of bread, some nope. mayo, some cheese, and nope. I'm, I'm not a now. So like if if I'm eating leftovers, there's a good chance that my leftovers is every side dish there was and just no main course. Okay, ah, interesting. Well, we can have Thanksgiving together. You can eat the potatoes and I'll eat the turkey. <laughs> Mine is uh, cranberry sauce. My, oh yes, my wife. Good, my, good point. Father in law just oh yeah, gotta have cranberry sauce. Yeah, cranberry sauce and. You know, I just, I, I don't. That's how my dad. That's how my dad is. Loves cranberry sauce, and I, it is so disgusting. And there are people like try to make it homemade. Like, no, I want it out of the can. I want the, the kind of the, the yep. slurp that comes out of it, and cut it in the perfect slices. Which I get that aesthetically, love the look of it. No, I I need to save space for stuff I like. Now, 
that is something I, I I can't fake. Like I'll eat I'll eat the turkey because I it's there, but I will not even attempt to eat that cranberry sauce. Disgusting. That's a that's a good point. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's all Dad talks about. For, oh, gotta get that cranberry sauce. Oh, great! Whole can to yourself. Do you have an adult beverage you partake in more at maybe not just Thanksgiving but family events that you probably don't. Like, oh, I'll have it at a wedding, maybe, but come Thanksgiving, this is this is my Thanksgiving beverage. I don't know. I think maybe maybe just more of like a fancier beer. Okay. Um maybe like a like a Sam Adams or something like that. God, that here made me sick. <laughs> you ask. Oh, I I would rather it's a trash cracker if you need cranberry sauce. No, no, no. Come yes. on now. No. Why? If you gave me There's Sam, multiple different Sam Adams you, you can gave oh. me a Sam Adams. Now there are a couple I've been able to like you get into some seasonal one. Like there's this okay. Well, I'm not talking about plain Sam Adams. I'm plain Sam Adams. If you gave it to me, like, no, thank you. I already opened it. Oh, well, that's your fault. Like we can we'll do a story. I can tell you a story off air, but there's no way. My my go to is a seven and seven. Well, I mean that's that's my pretty solid. And I usually like to partake in some seven and sevens, and you know, so there'll be like Thanksgiving morning, like hey, gotta run to the liquor store. Now, like so, for, like for myself, I mean, our our family really doesn't drink, so I'm kind of a wild card there at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm more of a seven and seven's good, but I do like Captain's Bright. Okay. Um, some's like, well, you can't mix the White soda and the dark liquor. Honestly, honestly, I think it tastes better than uh, Captain and Pepsi or Dr. Pepper. I can't stand the taste of that. And I like Dr. Pepper. I guess just with the two mixed, just doesn't taste good. All right. Well, here's to eating your favorite food and avoiding your least favorite foods and spending time with your family, whether you want to or not. <laughs> Washing it down with your favorite alcoholic. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, for that, TJ, I don't have anything else. You got anything to add? No. uh, Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Hopefully you're able to uh, spend it with family and uh, remember those things that we're thankful for and uh, enjoy the holiday. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, But for TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week for Episode 6. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud, and give us a follow on Twitter at Pod. Hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. Have a good one, everybody.